The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're picking up in Exodus chapter 16. So this is, if you remember, um, up to this point, what's been going on is God has been going into Egypt to save his people, to rescue them from oppression, and he's just led them through the Red Sea. And this is now their life with God out of Egypt. And so, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get looking at this passage together. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you for your kindness to us, and we ask that you would help us to trust you as you change us, as you lead us. And God, we ask that you would meet us as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that, um, I don't know if you guys are like dog or cat people, like people tend to be either like divided on being dog or cat people, but we had a dog when I was growing up, and it was a little rat terrier, and she was a part of a little pack of dogs before obviously we got her, but when we got her, I thought it was fascinating that what would happen is she would go to the bowl, she would pick up her food, and then she would pull it away and go someplace else to eat it. Do you ever have a dog do that? Does that seem... I don't know if that's like a normal dog thing, but what we kind of figured out is basically she was a bit of like, she wasn't the high, she wasn't the, the, you know, the king of the pack, so to speak, or the queen of the pack. She was on the runt side of things, but that she would go and get her food and draw it away because of this habit of like, if if I'm going to get any food, I have to pull it away from the bowl to be able to eat it on my own. But then when she'd come to, you know, live with us, she's the only dog, but she doesn't have to keep doing that. She could just eat straight out of the bowl. And just eat right there. But she kept doing this old habit of pulling the food away because of her previous experience of being a part of like this, you know, pack of dogs, you know, devouring the food together. So it was this old habit she had, even though the whole, her whole situation had changed. Does anybody, did your dog's pets do this? Like normal? My dog did that, but especially with treats. Yes. Not with, with food, Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's like it's this dog thing where they'll like go and like get the food out of the bowl and go eat someplace else as kind of like an old habit, even though they don't have any competition with the food right now. And it, what we find here in this passage is a bit of like this old habit. This old habits die hard, so to speak, of the Israelites, right? So they have, up to this point, they have been oppressed and uh, pushed down and subjugated under the Egypt, and they've been slaves. And now God has led them out. Rather miraculously, right? We had the ten, 10 plagues. We had the walking on dry ground through the Red Sea. And now they are living with God, so to speak. They've moved in. And that they still have this old habit of not trusting God. They, God's leading them out to be his people, to be on their own with him. And they still have this old habit of not trusting God. And this is kind of like our own lives with God, right? We see God work in our lives uh, we see him do things of providing for us or giving us things that we never asked for or never hoped for, and yet we still have a difficult time trusting God. Like, oh God, you were good yesterday, you helped me yesterday. I'm not sure about today. And that's a bit of what we see here with Israel, right? They are, they have kind of this on and off relationship. Old habits die hard for them. And what I think this passage, what we're looking at in chapter 16 and chapter 17, is we're seeing that we can trust God as he changes us. Real simple idea. We can trust God as he changes us. 
And so what we're going to look at is we're just going to pick up this passage. Uh, we're just going to see four aspects of what it means to be trusting God as he changes us. So how do we do that? So we're going to pick up in chapter 16, verse 1. And we're going to see we can trust God as he feeds us. Chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam. So this is a few months after they've done the Red Sea thing. Walked through the Red Sea. A few months later, they set out from Elam. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Right, so that's the name of the place. That's not like the wilderness of like being in sin. <laughs> just to clarify. Just the name of the place. The wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, and on the 14th, 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died in the land uh, of the Lord. Would, have, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly together with hunger. I mean, here they are. They have just watched God do miraculous things, right? <laughs> like fire from heaven. Killing people, water to blood, they just miraculous things, and yet here they are in the middle of the desert, and they're like, God, you brought us out here because there's not enough graves in Egypt. You, you brought us out here to, to die. Is that, I'd rather have died. And now they're looking back at their time in Egypt, like wistfully, like the good old days. Remember those good old days when we were like enslaved and oppressed and had to work really hard and killing ourselves? Man, that was great. <laughs> like, it's incredible. <laughs> And here they are, the tone of this passage is grumbling, right? They are just, they're just like grumbling. I'm not sure that they necessarily meant this, like, fully, but it's certainly like an expression of their heart, like, look, I'd really rather not be here right now, God. This is not what I was expecting. This is not what I was hoping for. So they have grum- they're grumbling in verse 2, right? So they were grumbling, and then in verse 7, and in the morning you see the glory of the Lord, because he, he has heard your grumbling, and then verse 8, Moses said, when the Lord gives you uh, in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against us, right? That you are grumbling, right? Just grumble. It's just like, clearly like they are just, they're asked, they're uh, dissatisfaction with God, not doing things the way they were expecting is in front view, right? They were not, they were, God was not living up to their expectations, and yet, so here they are grumbling against God, and yet God comes close to them and says, okay, I'm going to provide for you, right? <laughs> Which is not, it's not exactly what you'd expect, but it, God says, okay, I hear what you're saying, not doing the way th- things that you, th- you uh, not, this is not playing out the way you thought it was, it was going to play out, but I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to feed you with bread, uh, miraculous bread in the morning, uh, called manna and it actually like the Hebrew there is just like what is this right <laughs> manna just really means like what <laughs> that's what it is manna from heaven manna and it, it becomes it, it kind of I don't know if you, you guys use the phrase manna a lot I'm not sure if you guys do or not I don't really talk about manna I mean unless it's like this is an incredible meal that Michelle cooks for me <laughs> this is manna from heaven but otherwise just you know manna it was just Kind of like a bread-like substance that God says, okay, you want food? Every morning, it's going to be food on the ground, like the dew of the morning. 
going to go out and collect it, and you're going to collect enough manna for the day. That was what God said. Here, I'm going to give you food, miraculously provided for you. And then in verse 21, after all this, here's how it's going to go down. You're going to get, your, get the food that you're asking for. Morning by morning, they gathered, it, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But the sun grew hot and melted, so it had to go out in the morning. But the most important part of that verse is, morning by morning, they gathered it. Here they were grumbling against God, right? Complaining against who God was, not doing things the way they thought. And yet God's response is to by morning by morning provide for them. It's a bit of an odd reaction because the way I would have responded, at least the way I respond to my children when they grumble against me, is not to be so happy to so like, every day, here you go. Just, it's okay, stomp on my face. Here's the food that you're asking for, right? You can imagine... Uh, the, the way our, my relationship with my children, or I imagine most parenting relationships are, you like, you're breaking your back to make food, or make money, to buy the food, to buy the clothes, to pay the bills, provide the location, to, you know, warm bed at night, provide everything for them, and then it comes time for Christmas, and it's like, oh, I got four gifts and not the five gifts that I wanted. You know, there's a bit of like a grumbling effect. Um... A friend of mine was recently joking about like putting like rib, like bows on like the light switches and the faucets and <laughs> like, just to make the point of like here's how I provide for you, right? I you don't you, <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yeah. So it's a that's my reaction, right? That's how I would respond. But God, He hears the grumbling, right? And He He could respond in anger, right? We've seen God's anger. To, to disobedience in this past in the book so far, he could respond that way, but his desire is for them to train them to trust him. Right? He is training the Israelites in this passage to trust him, and so he leads them in a way to see that their relationship with him is different than what they had previously experienced with Pharaoh. Right? With Pharaoh, the relationship was right. You're slaves. You're going to work your fingers to the bone, and you're going to work until, you, until I say stop, and then when I want, I'll give you the food that I promised. With God, they're grumbling against God, they're complaining against God, and God's saying, I could wipe you off the face of the earth, but because I love you, I want to provide for you. I want to draw you into the depending on a relationship with me, and not this sort of like tit for tat, you're like subject under me. God's relationship that he's drawing them into is one where he wants to provide for them out of who he is, right? He's not just trying to get in some sort of like, God's up here, they're down here. He's drawing them into a relationship where they actively depend on him, right? Because it's a day-by-day thing, right? This manna that he's giving them is manna day-by-day. They don't get enough food for tomorrow, they just get enough food for today. This is a relationship where they're having to depend on God. They're having to depend on God and trust that God is who he is, that God's going to provide for them, that he's the type of God who cares about them, that God loves to provide out of who he is, right? So it's not just like, it's not just kind of like this food exchange, right? God's not just kind of opening up a divine food bank. God is actually trying to teach them something about who he is. He can be trusted. You get your food for today because God gives it to me, but I know who he is. So I know, I know that he's going to provide for tomorrow. All right, so God's giving them not just food, but he's giving them himself. And we see this, this, this story, chapter 16, gets picked up again a good bit. And it, we see it over in uh, 
John chapter 6, right, where Jesus, I don't know if this sounds familiar to you, but Jesus is talking about being the bread of life. Jesus says he's the bread of life. So we have over in John chapter 6, verse 28, so this is an interaction with the Pharisees of the time, and they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Right? Which is kind of like, what is it like the Israelites in chapter 16, what they're saying is, what's this relationship with God going to be like? That's what the we're seeing in John 6. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent me. I'm sorry, that you believe in, in him whom he has sent. So Jesus is saying, you should believe in me. They said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Right? What works do you do to perform? Show us the proof. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. So here we are, Exodus 16. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is not, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. That sounds great. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Right? So here they are. They're looking. What does it mean to live with God and trust him and believe in him and rest in him and to rely on him? And Jesus saying, look, you're looking to Moses as like like some hero, and it wasn't Moses who gave you the bread, right? (laughs) Because Moses just kind of goes and says, God, I got this HR complaint. What do I do with this? And God's like, I'm going to provide the food. Because of who I am. God is the one sustaining him. And Jesus' point is, God does not just sustain our bodies. God sustains our souls. God's purpose in this story in Exodus 16 is to, to be a picture of our life with him. To sustain our souls with him. To give us more of himself. We need God. And so then we go to chapter 6 and then verse 35. Right. So how do we get this bread? This bread that never ends? Jesus says, right, Whoever I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And then how do we get that? Verse 40. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. All right, so we look to Jesus. The only thing that we do, right, is we look to God and we ask for his help. And that's what the Israelites should have been doing in Exodus 16. They just watched God turn a river into a pathway and walk them across it. And they're hungry. Do you think God could have provided for them? They just looked at God help us. But God overcomes our weakness and God overcomes our weakness and says, okay, listen, I'm going to come down to your level. I'm going to speak real, real simple. Ask me for help. I'm going to provide for you. And that's what we're seeing here, right? So God, even in the midst of their silliness, saying day by day, verse 21, morning by morning, they gathered the manna, each as much as he could eat. All right, so what does, this, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us in our relationship and trust in God? Because often our, our experience of our Christian life is, uh, this is not the way I expected it to be, God. This is a lot harder. It's not as easy. I thought it would be different. <laughs> kind of like the Israelites, right? They thought, this is not the way I expected my life with God to be. And God says, you can, you can trust me. And here's how you're, I'm going to give you grace just for today. And it's going to be sufficient for today. Because I don't want you 
thinking that you can do this without me tomorrow. You can only live your life with God on a day-to-day basis. God doesn't, God doesn't give you the grace for this whole week. He actually only gives you grace, the strength, the life. He only gives you enough of Jesus for today. Which means that we get fresh grace from God every day, whether you ask for it or not. Just like the manna. They didn't ask for it or not, but God provided it. God provides enough of Jesus for you today. He doesn't give you grace for tomorrow. He gives you grace for today. He gives you grace to be able to grow and strength and to depend on him, to weakly, feebly hold on to him for today. And because you're getting God, he's going to be there for you tomorrow to depend on him, to lean on him, to get more of him. But he only gives you enough grace for today. And how, so the question is, how do we get that grace? Well, I'm not going to be rigid or like, tell you like the only way to do this, but I think one of the ways to get it is just to talk to God on a daily basis. Are we going to his word on a daily basis? Right? Jesus, in Sermon on the Mount, he says, give us this day our daily bread. I think he's thinking about this passage here, which not only speaks to the food, right? You guys are smelling the food that we're about to eat after this. <laughs> but I think it speaks to, God, we need you to sustain us on a daily basis. We need you, God. We need to have you. And talking to God, going to his word, what, I'm not saying that I'm a great example of doing daily devotions, but I've, I've been doing nearly daily devotions for the last 10 plus years. Right? I, lately, you can do lots of Bible reading programs. You can read through the Bible in a year. That's and super intense. You know, if that's your deal, you can do that. You can read a psalm a day. That's what I've been doing. I just read a psalm a day. Actually, for the last six months or nine months, my practice has, this is just my practice. I'm not telling you you have to do this. My practice, I just read Psalm 119. I'd read one verse. And I think about one verse in Psalm 119, journal about it. Thank you, Jesus. I move on with my day. Super simple. But I'm meeting with God, and I'm receiving fresh grace from his word. Daily. I mean, what, you can do whatever practice you want. I know a couple of the guys, chapter of Ephesians a day, just reading through Ephesians over and over and over again. Whatever it is, we can come up with a plan, but have a plan for meeting and, re- and engaging with God to get the fresh grace that you need for today. God wants to feed you, right? And his change, the plan of change in his, of your life that he has is sustained only by grace one day at a time. You guys track with me? So, as the story goes on, all right, God is leading them, and we're, seeing in, we're, going to be, we're beginning to see in this passage that this is a bit of a program or a bit of a picture of our life with God. God has saved us, and now our life with God, what does it look like? Well, first off, we just looked at, we can trust God to feed us. We're going to pick up in verse 22, trusting God to remind us. Right, so he's been feeding us with his food, and now we need like a little reminder on our phone. Right, you guys have a little alerts. This is their alert, their phone alert. Trusting God to remind us. I'm just going to read verses 22 through 26. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath of the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, and Moses commanded them to do it, and it did not stink, 
and there are no worms in it. And Moses said, eat, to, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. On the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So they, they have this pattern of gathering for six days and then taking the seventh day as a day of Sabbath. Taking a day off. Right? So God's saying, I'm going to provide the six days, and on the seventh day, I'm going to give you the food. I'm going to give you enough food on the sixth day to provide for the seventh day. So, this gets into the topic of what do we do with the Sabbath, right? Like, I don't know if you guys ever thought about this. Like, how, how do we think about the Sabbath, right? God in the, in the Old Testament, he says, worship on the seventh day. As Christians, we worship on the seventh. We worship, well, we worship on the seventh day now. We'll eventually move to Sunday. But... That the, before we get into that stuff, what's going on in this passage is this basic principle of working and then resting, right? Working and resting, which would have been very different to the culture of the time. The culture of the time, they would have said, work, 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 a few holidays here or there, work, 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 die, right? There's been constant work and they would have died, <laughs> right? There'd been no, there's been a big cycle, constantly doing the same work over and over again, uh, no breaks, because you had to kind of put your due in to get what you did, what was owed to you or to at least make your masters happy so that they gave you what the, your day's pay. But what's fascinating is that when God says, look, work for six days and rest on a seventh, even in Genesis when he does that, he's setting up a pattern, right? He's setting up a pattern saying, you're going to work and then rest because time is going somewhere. You're, re- you're working and then enjoying the fruits of your labor on a seven-day basis, but you're actually working, and the seventh day is pointing towards the final rest, where we will rest with Jesus. Actually, in the Genesis account, the seventh day doesn't have a completion. At the beginning, you know, there's morning, there is evening, it's first day. You look at it, Genesis 2, there's no completion to the seventh day, because there's still a rest to come. There's a rest that God is leading us towards. That the seventh day, it's God's stamp of, here's how, here's how you're going to think about your time. You're going to think about your time in relation to the day to come where you will rest finally. Right? You will enjoy the fruits of God's rest. You'll rest completely, and you'll be with God. So that's kind of the pattern that he's saying here. So the reason that they have the seventh day is to remind them, we're God's people. We rest in God. God's the one who's got this, and we don't have to keep worrying about our lives. There's actually a day we can just kind of sit back and relax and trust that God's going to provide for us. Can you imagine what that would have said to the, the, the uh, other countries and other towns at the time, or walking through, oh, wait, your people stop working for a day because your God said he's going to provide for you? Like that, can you imagine what that would have said? Here's a people at rest with God. They rest with who God is, and they trust him enough to be able to stop what is most essential for them for one full day, to trust God to provide for them. Now, if you want to talk about, hey, how does all this relate to like New Testament, all that stuff, we could talk about that. But I think there's a principle here. Maybe just call it the Sabbath principle of like taking a day to rest in who God is, because he said it as a reminder, what we you need to be reminded. We're God's people. Who is God? It's just, a, it's just a wise application of just saying, you know what? I, I need help to remember who God is and who I am as his son or daughter. Here's a question I've been wrestling with. 
What does the Sabbath principle of one day of rest look like in a culture that expects two days without work? Right? Because in, in our day, we have two days. We have Saturday and Sunday off, right? We, we expect to only work Monday to Friday, standard work week, and then Saturday and Sunday, we get Saturday and Sunday off, and that's... Well, some of it, I think what's helpful about this principle here, what we're looking at, is that it begins to confront some of our expectations about how we think about both work and rest. When we think about work, we think um, there's two kind of two ways, primary ways we think about work today. We think um, I, I'm going to work and my identity is in my work. We call those workaholics, right? <laughs> my, everything about me is identified with my work and I can't stop working. And then I'm not sure what you call it, maybe work to play, but like I endure work so that I can get to the weekend, <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about? Like I'm going to work Monday to Friday and then TGIF, We'll just go to the bar and hang out Friday or whatever, right? So we have these kind of like two extremes. We don't know what to do with work. Like, but what's actually helpful is that the Sabbath principle of a day off, God's saying, working for six days, work is good, right? If you don't like work, you're not going to like heaven. <laughs> There's going to be work in heaven. But it's going to be a type of work where we're not, we're not finding our identity or overworking or trying to, you know, prove ourselves to anybody by how much we work. I mean, it's weird how we think about work, right? If I tell you, guys, I worked 80 hours last week, some of you should really recognize that that would be, like, unhealthy. <laughs> but the way we tend to think about it, at least the way I, you know, the, the people I, I read about, I'm like, oh, like, that's a, that's a guy I want to be like or whatever. Like, I hear, like, he works, like, 70 or something hours. I'm like, wow, he's super devoted. I'm never that devoted. Like, that's unhealthy. <laughs> that's not good. It... it it's good for, it's okay for a season, but like as a defining mark, God's saying, look, you need to rest and trust me, which means that not only is this giving us direction for how we think about work, but it's also giving us direction for how we think about our lives and rest. Like there's a, it's interesting, we had the, the boys were um, at the Cub Scouts this past week, we went to the food bank for New Hampshire. And uh, the boys beforehand were, were going to the food bank and they were going to be sorting out food for the food bank. And uh, the boys were really excited because they're like, I'm going to get to work. <laughs> and some of the parents were like, yeah, that's great. That's, what's wrong with you? You know, like, but it, it's good to want to work. But it's also important that we, we think about this, that God calls us to rest. He calls us to rest in who he is. And here's a question that I think about a lot. In just kind of relation to this and trying to think about how we apply this. Do you have a dedicated point of the week when you are primarily focused on your identity as a child of God? Right? That's the point of the Sabbath. Do you have a point of the week where you are primarily focused on your identity as a child of God? Right? That doesn't mean um, that doesn't mean that you have to forget that you're. Uh, an employee. You don't have to forget that you're married or you're single. You don't have to forget that you have family. You don't have to forget all those other things. But you're primarily focused on your identity as a child of God. To enjoy who God says he is. To remind yourself, okay, amidst all the family drama that I'm experiencing and all the disappointments from this last week and all the things that aren't going the way I want them to go, am I looking at who God says he is just for a little bit, a focused time, and resting my soul in who God is. Do you have a focused time where you do that? It, it, that's, the, that's the point of the Sabbath, is to rest in who God is. 
Tim Keller has this great little phrase, the Sabbath is a declaration of freedom from the tyranny of the workplace identity placed on us in culture. Those who cannot stop working are slaves. Actually, I put a little book, I put a little article, six-page article by Tim Keller called The Wisdom of the Sabbath in the back. Grab one if you, if they go like hotcakes, I'll get you, in, I'll get you when I promise, don't worry. But it's really helpful because he just kind of talks about this principle. What is, the, what is the Sabbath principle? What does that mean for us? And then just a, pr- a few practical ideas of like how to implement that and do that. It's just going to be really helpful. I just think it's going to be really helpful for us, guys. So just pick that up if you're in the back. But the point of this is to remember who we are. That God is calling us. He's telling us, I want you to rest in who I am. I want to remind you. You can trust me. right? And, the, and, and all that God's doing in our lives, we need a moment just to kind of turn and say, God, I trust you for who you are. So... Let's pick up in verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 1. So here's what's been going on, right? So they grumble against God. God, you're gonna, you, you let us out into the desert to, 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 to lead us to die of hunger. God says, I'm going to give you manna. And here's, I'm going to give you manna for six days. And you're going to collect this the manna to eat day by day. And on the sixth day, you're going to have this day of rest for day seven. So God, you, they can trust God to feed them. And then you could trust God to remind them, to remind us. And then in verse seven, chapter 17, we pick up, it almost feels like a bit of a repeat story, right? They grumble against God and they get the food. And then verse chapter 17 is basically, they grumble against God. We're dying of thirst, God. <laughs> Would you please give us water? Um, and it can feel like a repeat story, but I don't think it is. I think there's a, something else going on here that is really important for us to pick up. The previous situation was they were dying of food, hunger, they were dying of hunger, and God gave them the manna. And then here in chapter 17, they have Moses going to God, God, we're dying of thirst. So verse 4, chapter 17, verse 4, So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. They're so thirsty, they're about to stone me to death. The Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, Taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck with which we struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. And he called the name of the place Mesa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they test the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So here's just a little, here's just a little note. They were, um, you have a little bit of what's going on here is a bit of a uh, city boy in the country situation. <laughs> because they would have been in a, in a place where there was a lot of like porous rock that would have actually had water in it. But they, they just had no idea. Right? So there's a bit of a situation where this isn't like a total miracle, right, uh, that the, it's pretty common at the time for shepherds to go up to porous rocks and strike them and they get some sort of water out of it. So it's not a total miracle, but the miracle here is, I don't know if you picked this up in verse 6. Before, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the, war, the rock and water shall come out of it. So here's the situation, right? It's the rock. Moses said to go up to the rock. And God is saying, I'm going to stand between you and the rock. 
and then strike me. God's saying to Moses, strike me, I will be between you and the rock, and yet when you strike me, I will provide for my people. Does that sound familiar? You should begin to pick up on what's going on there, right? God is saying, if when you strike me, I will provide life for my people. I will provide for them. So we we see this in 1 Corinthians 10. We looked at this a few weeks ago. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers who were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, right? So we saw that a few weeks ago, right? So he's talking directly about this situation. And, at, and all ate the same spiritual food and drank from the same spiritual rock. So he's talking about the very chapters that we're talking about right here. They drank from the spiritual rock that, flow, that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So what Paul is saying, seeing here is that God provides out of, his, out of taking the hit for his people. Right? So we saw that in the Passover lamb, where God gives them something to take their judgment so that they can walk under the, the free mercy of God. And here, the in God's economy, being a part of God's family, there's God's saying, here's how I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take the hit for your disobedience and rebellion, right? So they're, they're grumbling. Remember that part we're talking about? They're grumbling against God. I'm going to take the hit for that. You guys, I'm going to stand, I'm going to stand between you and the rock. I'm going to take the judgment so that you can receive the mercy, so you can receive the life, right? This is the gospel, right? This is what we've been talking about. All We've been talking about seeing the gospel according to Moses. Here is God standing at the rock and saying, hit me with your best shot, right? To quote the 80s line, right? God is leading them. God is leading them to see that they need God but that God does not domineer over them, but God suffers for them, right? God takes the hit, right? They strike the rock, and it is through God being struck that he provides for them, right? That is what we see in the gospel, and that's the God, that, the, the, I just want you to see, pick up the leadership of what God does here, right? God's leadership, under Pharaoh's leadership for them, remember from the beginning of the book of Exodus, harsh and oppressive, and demeaning. God's leadership here, he, he sacrifices to serve them. He sacrifices. His, he stands between them and the rock to provide for them, which should, I think, inform how we think about our own, the leadership areas of our own lives. I hope that I set an example for you of sacrificial leadership. If I don't, let me know. <laughs> you can hit me with your best shot. But we should be, where we are leading other people, we take the hit so that other people can be blessed, right? We see that over and over and over again in the New Testament. We don't strike back. But the pattern of God's leadership for them, which is helpful, when we're called to trust and follow this God, he's saying, I'm going to lead you and gently provide for you out of my own, after being, out of being struck for you. Which is how I think we get verse 7. Is the Lord among us? Yeah, he is. Because Jesus was crucified for us so that we could be a part of the family of God. Everybody tracking? I feel like we're getting a little sleepy. We good? Alright, we're going to close up here. Point four. Alright, so we've been seeing God's 
trusting, we can trust God to feed us, we can trust God to remind us, we can trust God to lead us, and then verse, chapter 17, here at the end, trusting God to protect us. Because of all things, it's not a good movie until there's a battle scene at the end, right? <laughs> so here we do, we get a battle scene at the end, they've been getting miracle food in the morning, they've been getting miracle water in the desert, and then here they get to the end of this passage, verse chapter 17, verse 8, then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out to fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew tired, grew weary. So they took a stone and put under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So here we have this battle scene, and basically what's happening is Moses lifting up his hands, and whenever his hands, which has the, the, the staff of God, right, whenever the power of God is lifted up, the enemies, they start prevailing against the enemy. And then when he gets kind of tired, because, I mean, have you ever guys ever done this for a while? Like, your arms get tired. <laughs> arms get tired. And, eight, and remember, he would have been 80 years old, so have mercy on him. <laughs> arms getting tired. And then, so his friends say, okay, your arms have to be up. We're going to sit you down, so we'll hold your arms up. And they prevail. And it's a very it's a it's a fascinating picture. I think there's a, a bit of a picture. Not only is it of God's protection of us, right? Because here's God's miraculous power. Like I mean, who would? There's no like war strategy of saying, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have the president hold his hands up, and we're gonna prevail over the enemy. <laughs> like that's not like a, a winning war strategy. But we're talking about God's war here. God God's power is the one that makes a deciding factor, and the picture depending on God. But Moses needs help to depend on God. It's much like our lives, right? Like our lives, we need each other. Like Drew was talking about before. We need to sit down and have other people lift our hands for us. We need to trust in God because we're just weak people. But we need other people to help us trust in God. Because our lives, they're not, they don't go the way we expect them to, right? They don't go, we didn't expect the path to go this way. We get tired like Moses, get weary. And we need people to help lift us up, either lift us up in prayer, to trust in God, right? This is a picture of prayer, right? Lifting each other up before God, to depend on him, to lean on him. When God's power is lifted up, we have hope for change. This God lifts up his power, and it's, and it's only in his power that we have hope for change in our lives. Right? We, want, we want to be different. We want to be more like Jesus, but it's just tiring, but God gives us the local church here, guys. This, this is why we have our small groups, so we can do this more intentionally together in our small groups, to lift each other up, to depend on God together. Because these old habits, remember these old habits? I'm talking about my dog before, these old habits of how we think the world should work. They keep shaping how we think about things. We keep thinking we can do this on our own. We don't need God's help on a daily basis. We don't need to be reminded of who God is. We don't need God's protection. We're not going to make it without these things. We need God's food that he provides for us in Jesus. 
We need God's reminding. We need regular, weekly reminders of who we are and who God is. We need God's leading to come back to the cross on a daily basis, to go to Jesus on a daily and weekly basis, to get the, the, the waters of, of living of life in Jesus. And we need Jesus' protection. And we need to do that in our life together. That's why God does this. This story is all about a community doing this. It's not individuals. It's communities who do this. It's a community of people. To trust God as he changes us, we need each other. And we need, verse 15, Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the, ban- the Lord is my banner. So we call it loving Jesus together. We need to do this together. Because if God changes us, we can trust him. We can trust that God as he changes us. And we need each other to remind us. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us as we look to your word? Would you receive your word? Would you plant it in us that we would grow to be more like Christ? Father, would you meet us as we continue to worship you? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.